Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. We are on with Mendy Pellin, a famous Chabad Hasidic comedian. Um, so thankful and excited that you came on. And, uh, you know, normally what I do is I ask people what they, what they do. I know like, I basically covered it, but why don't you tell me a little bit more about your work, that sort of thing. I tell jokes sometimes in exchange for funds. Wow. And I write jokes and other material in exchange for funds. And um, I produce videos. Mm-hmm. What and, kind of videos? Um, anything from music videos. I have a production company, so anything wow. from music videos to, um, you know, corporate stuff. That's really interesting because I think that, I think most people just assume you're just a comedian, at least from my from what I've seen, and like for the comedy videos that you do. And I think it's, to me, I'm always blown away when I find out that you're doing so much more. It's right. Like, well, they, the the stuff that you you see me in, that's like a, you know, probably ten percent. Right. Yeah. The other ninety percent is what pays the bills. Right. For the for that, it's more like the 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 big money to to be able to live. It's expensive to live or to die, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Good point. It, yeah, it's very expensive to die. Yeah. My Tell aunt, us more about my that. My aunt uh-huh. died like two or three years ago. Uh-huh. And for the first time, I realized like it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Not like, for her, though. Not for her. Right. No, for her, it wasn't expensive. My, it's just, it was like my cousin was, um, was like, okay, um, I got a couple hundred bucks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like maybe we should just cremate her <laughs> and, and I was this like, was, uh, Orthodox. Uh, they, well, she was not, oh, yeah, okay. she, yeah, she's secular. Uh-huh. So she like, uh, she didn't, she didn't leave anything behind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work this out. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like 15 grand, uh, total after wow. the whole thing. Yeah. Really? 15 grand. My gosh. Yeah. It's expensive to live or die. Right. So why did I mention death and... <laughs> oh, so, yeah, so I have a production company and I, I do like, like I've done music videos for like Jakob Schwecki. Oh, okay. And yeah. who else? And some other, some others. Mm-hmm. And the, the music videos generally are more of like a tearjerker type mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. Like people don't really associate me with that. Stuff. So do you like doing stuff like that? Well, it's like therapeutic, really, because I, like I I do have a lot of different emotions in me from growing up mm-hmm. that I never learned what to do with them. That's interesting. It's such like a com- comedian trope. I feel like right, like in the sense of you know we always hear about these comedians who directed their emotions towards humor because they didn't know what to do with it. Is yeah, that, I'm, I'm a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. I fit the, the uh, comedian stereotype. Wow. But uh, yeah, so there's these, these emotions that like are all mixed up in me. Yeah. And, uh, and I kind of tap into those emotions when I'm able to just sit and write and listen to a song that I like. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, I, I've, I've thought of really crazy 
mm-hmm. crazy concepts, and the singers have gone with it. Wow. Like Shweki's like uh, after the music video, he calls me up. He's like, quickly, uh, uh, Haaretz is uh, interviewing me about the music video. What the hell is it about? <laughs> <laughs> I still, I'm still not quite sure. <laughs> That's cool. Are you able to answer him? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I mean, there's a reason for everything. Like, there's so many different layers of wow. of of stuff in there. Was it, like, a relatively recent thing that you started doing these other forms, or have you been doing it for a while? Well, um... In terms of, like, sad versus comedic. No, I've been doing it for a while. The, yeah. the music... The doing stand-up comedy, I think, is about five years now. Oh, okay. Um... The, the first show that I did for a stand-up was in New York in front of a thousand people. Your first stand-up first, show? First ever. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This That's like, as someone who's an open micer, just like, that is like the worst thing I could possibly imagine. Yeah. I just, I, I dived in deep. But you were, I mean, you were already doing comedy before then. You well, just I was do doing stand-up. videos. I right, always right. wanted to do stand-up, but I didn't have the schnauzel to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And and then um, one day this guy from Williamsburg, who's never done a, a, anything like it, said, mm. "Amanda, I think that you you could be a very good, uh, you know, at do a stand up comedy. We can make money. We can make a, make a show out of it. You know what I'm saying? We we'll go to B and H. We get a camera and we we film it. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know why I always do the lith lith whenever I copy a Williamsburg person. I hate right. to put them in a and, uh, but they all do that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why. Why is that? I mean, have you ever met uh, like a Yiddish speaking Hasidic guy that doesn't have the lisp? <laughs> they, they they usually have the lisp. Yeah, and all so. their wives are speech therapists, <laughs> yeah. which is true. Really, not to generalize, but yeah, not to generalize, but it's but true. they go all like tw- the they go to like the the, the <laughs> like the Hasidic version of Toro, uh-huh. and. And there's like speech therapists. I would say a majority of them are speech therapists. Maybe that's, maybe for some reason they encourage the lisp. Maybe. Maybe for them that's like the correct way to speak. What do you think? It could be. Mm-hmm. It could be that, that, like, I was, I wanted to make in Williamsburg a speech therapy place called Speech Therapy <laughs> with a TH, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm going to speech therapy now. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I see you need it. Very cool. But, uh, no, so the guy in Williamsburg called yeah. me up and said, um, I want to make a show, Cholomite mm. Paithach, for you to do stand-up. It's going to be a smash hit. So I I said, okay, sure. I didn't think he was going to actually do it, put it together. But I'm mm. like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. And he, he actually put it together. Uh, we did some marketing for it. He he did he put posters and billboards and stuff all over New York. And when I came to New York before the show, <laughs> I see posters all over with my face, <laughs> and it says Mandy Pellin, two hours of nonstop laughter. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, you were the only. I, I, yeah, I right away thing. called him up, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, first of all, first of all, I thought I was going to be one of a few. I, that's what I was my impression. Right. <laughs> and second of all. <laughs> Um, two hours, <laughs> even Jerry Seinfeld goes up for 45 minutes. He has an opener and he does a set 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, if, if you could do more than two hours, it's better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> more than two hours. At least two hours. 
<laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> and, and as a rookie, I took like all the material that I came up with my entire life mm-hmm. and I went on for three hours. Are you serious? Yeah, three hours. You did a three-hour set. Three-hour set. For I'm not first... saying all of it was was great, but... <laughs> and people sat through people three sat, hours? Most people sat, yeah, most people sat through it. They want to was... get their money's worth, you know? <laughs> was there a break or was there... There, there, was a, there were a few, like, five-minute breaks. They, they, we had, a, like, a wedding band there. The, oh, my gosh. The, the guy pulled off a favor <laughs> there were like wedding flowers it was a it was a funny event okay so yeah. to I'm, I'm very curious yeah. what mindset allows you to do that and to be like i'm sure it was surprise it sounded like it was surprising to you but most people i if it was me and i think a lot of people they would be like uh i'm just not gonna do it or i'm gonna get i don't know other people or something what is your mindset when, when, when something like that occurs and, and when you're in general given the opportunity to be on stage I, that allows you to do that? Well, when you're having a good show, mm. when you're having a good show, there's, there's nothing like it. It's just like a, it's just a, the feeling mm. that you get, that I get when I'm, when I'm doing a good show and I have the audience like in my hands. It's amazing. But you didn't have that experience before that, did you? Because you said you were doing videos before. Right. But I've, I've done like... Um, here and there, like, uh, let's say Hanukkah, traveling Hanukkah theater, um, other things that were not officially stand-up mm-hmm. comedy or, or emceeing an event. So it's right. not, I'm not officially a comedian, but I, I'm telling jokes like, oh, the MC is pretty funny. So you always like enjoyed yeah. being up there for Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The, the, the thing I was afraid <laughs> of is the pressure where if they say, all right, for 45 minutes, be funny. One, two, three, go. That that's a lot of pressure. As a uh, you're saying, like in the stand up. Yeah, that's situation. what. Yeah, that was that was what why I was avoiding it. Right. So okay. So that. So what allowed you to make make that leap then when that happened to go from zero to three hours? <laughs> I don't. I I have this like drive to make a like a dent in the world, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've I've just I just got to do these things, and mm-hmm. and I don't care that much about what people think interesting and so that's a good i've yeah. noticed that's very helpful for creative if uh creative people can foster that i've noticed yeah i mean it it took some time i, I was putting out videos mm-hmm. uh, years ago i i got so much criticism and and like oh, yeah. each one like i i was hurt and it was hard it was yeah. hard yeah it was, it was like everyone was like okay from now on i'm changing that or from now on, i'm not doing that and for and then slowly but surely i realized that uh, it's much easier to like break down a building than to build it you know like right so i was telling people okay you know what you make a show (laughs) and then i'll send you the criticism you know (laughs) um so it's interesting like you know i find that fascinating because i think a lot of the listeners my guess uh assuming we have a lot of listeners (laughs) or any listeners uh are I've noticed because we have a lot of creative types that listen to every, are interested in every, and that sort of thing. Yeah, amazing people. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, yeah. like incredible. And 
But the number one thing I hear from everyone, whether it's a guest submitter, our regular writers, um, people that wish they were writing especially or, or, or performing or whatever it was, is this fear of criticism is like debilitating, you know? Yeah. And I know for me, when I started out, like, you know, I would literally have to call my wife after each piece I wrote and because of like comments or even before the comments came in, I'd be like, you know, freaking out. But somehow I pushed myself past that. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is to me, what I think, you know, I think you, you know, at least the way you describe it almost sounds like it happened automatically. My feeling is that it wasn't that simple. No, like, it took a couple of years. Right. You know, I, I think with the arts, you're basically, you're bearing your soul. Right. Like all the, all the superficial stuff that people put out on the outside and, and jokes or, or like, what's up, dude? <laughs> all these different things that, you know, people are trying to protect their getting to the real them, whether right. they're trying to... They're, they're avoiding themselves seeing their, their real selves or they're avoiding other people seeing the real selves. Right. But the arts is, is really going deep inside to... It's so deep that you can't even really put words to it. You know, it's like, that's what the arts are. Like a song, it's is like, when you write a song, it, that is your inner self and you're putting it out for other people. Yeah to show off so it it hurts if someone pokes at your like your your essence really right yeah totally so i guess my question would be for people that are listening that are maybe going through that or went through like what is there anything that you can yeah so i what i realized yeah is that when someone gives you uh when someone you know trolls you or or tells you something bad about your art, um, it's a good thing mm. because I realize anything significant, anything that's good will have negative feedback. If there's no negative feedback, it means it's not really that significant, wow. you know? So I started, I slowly started to take the negative criticism as a gauge that we're doing good. That's interesting. So you basically re, uh, what's the word? Um, you kind of recontextualized it so yeah. that, or reframed it so that now it becomes almost a reward as opposed to a... Exactly. Wow. Yeah, when I start seeing negative stuff... That's really interesting. I'm like, wow. Mm. At the very beginning, when I first started, like the first thing I put out on online, and then like the, the second episode, I was working with a friend, Parrots Golding. Mm-hmm. I said, Parrots, I think the best way to get this out there is if we... If we kind of like stir some controversy or something like that, <laughs> and and I didn't want to like actually put content out there that would stir controversy, so I I I basically had him create something called the Anti Pellin Blog, <laughs> yeah. and after every episode, <laughs> it would write a detailed <laughs> thing cursing out every little detail, oh my gosh, nitpicking on every little thing. Wow. Uh, about that episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's <laughs> and, amazing. And the the uh and then on Did it get a following? And, and it got a following <laughs> and the best thing is is like there are people you know that I, I was seeing like 50 people, 50 comments cursing the guy out. Oh my gosh. And I was like this is amazing. <laughs> and then I had him on oh on God. on uh on YouTube and on other on cranites.info. 
he wrote uh, on there, and he he would write negative stuff <laughs> on there. <laughs> Under his name? No, no, oh, under okay. random names. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> to, um, and uh, just to start it off, and then wow. pretty quickly we realized that we don't have to do that <laughs> <You> anymore. <don't>... <laughs> <laughs> There's people willing to do it. Yeah, you? there are people willing to do it for free. <laughs> gosh, well, that's kind of interesting. It's almost like you allowed yourself to own it a little bit. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, that's fascinating. I was. <laughs> That's so funny because it's true. On the internet, you really don't need any help with that. That's oh no, like... <laughs> no! Pretty, we realized pretty quickly. <laughs> That's so. But funny. but it was funny. The things that he was nitpicking, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, you're being Bithel Tyra. Mm-hmm. You're clearly being Bithel Tyra <laughs> yeah. by this episode. There's nothing of value in here, mm-hmm. and and you right. should be ashamed. That we should put you in cherem. Like he would say different things like that. And then the cool thing is, you had like thirty people cursing him out no. like yes thank you right so you got the opposite reaction yeah saying yeah i generated the opposite reaction so you created support I, for yourself exactly that was that. that's the best way to create support but wow. think about it anyone that likes it generally will just move on with their day they're mm-hmm. not going to comment right um it's just the people that are bitter mm. generally will comment Every- and and um unless it's like a uh you know, like, like this community, I think people want to help each other. So they'll, they'll give construction, constructive criticism or they'll, right. they'll give like, uh, um, Hey, that was good. Or just, you know, they'll, they'll give some feedback, but in, in like in the wild world, in the real world, outside of Hevria, <laughs> the safe world of Hevria, um, people, uh, generally don't comment on the good, only the bad. So the right. bad represents a, you know, I think maybe 1% mm-hmm. of good. So the more bad you see, the more, the, there's way more good out there. Interesting. So you feel like if you're seeing bad, that must, that must mean that there's good. Yeah. I feel like that must connect to Hasidism in some way. <laughs> there probably, there probably does. Now there are some, there are some comments that, that I get that are, that actually once in a while, not that, not that often, but there there will be a comment that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's legitimate, mm-hmm. and the person like you could actually see it comes from a good place, right? And and I tell them, give me a call. I private message them, wow. and I speak to them. That's so interesting. And 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 usually we we get to an understanding of hmm. of like why I did it, what was the intent, or like you know what you're making a valid point. I'll be careful about stuff like that in the future. So how do you, how do you, because I think that that's, you know, what's interesting. I think there's like a flip side to this being able to deal with negativity where I think I went through, through this for a while, which was, I became so focused on kind of cutting out, listen, hearing that because there's so much poison in these critiques and these attacks that sometimes, you know, we can often go the other way and not hear things that can help us grow, you know? So how do we tell the difference? How do we open ourselves up enough that we can hear that while not allowing in the poison, you know? Well, I, th- I think you just, I think you just got to follow your gut. I think, you know, it's okay to read this stuff. And generally, um, if someone writes a lengthy comment mm. and doesn't call you names and just brings across different points and, and, uh, and if, and, and if your gut tells you this person authentically likes what you do, but they're giving criticism to this particular thing then you know 
then it's then it's worthy of a conversation going back and forth. So you're not one of these people that are like, don't read the comments, don't don't look at any. No, no, I, I read the comments. Yeah, yeah, especially by the guy that <laughs> writes them for you. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> um, <really interesting>. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, I was like, great comment you did there, and he's like, I didn't write anything there. <laughs> I was like, oh, so someone else is cursing me out. It's <laughs> good. So tell me a little bit about your comedy. I would love to know, you know, is there a guiding philosophy or a reasoning and or anything, or is it just you just try and say things that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by comedy um, just because it's something that I'm still trying to figure out on my own. And with writing, it's always, it always seems to me writing essays is so much more explicit. It's like, this is what I think. And here it is. That's why I'm writing. It's very clear. Whereas comedy, I feel like, can come from so many different motivations and sometimes can be much more intuitive. So I'm curious, like, for you, where you often feel like your comedy comes from. Um, yeah, it's very, very intuitive. It's just a, a feeling of, you know, okay, that's funny. Mm -hmm. well, let's say there's a certain situation that I find pretty funny. Uh, like I have a routine about... Um, you know, in, in Crown Heights, we're very into surprise birthdays. In Williamsburg, they're into surprise weddings, you know. Right. And um, <laughs> so I, I thought it was it was kind of funny how yeah. they don't, I mean, sad, but also funny how someone could not know their spouse before they got married. And then I just thought, okay, how could we frame right. this? Right. And then I came up with surprise wedding. <laughs> And then I do a whole thing about uh, well, it's interesting you know, how it, it goes. Well, it's interesting because it's obviously, you, like you said, it's coming also from a place of like you feel sad about it as yeah. well. Do you, yeah. Do, does that happen quite a bit? Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of things within, um, within our customs that either I don't get, mm -hmm. um, like for example, blowing the shifer thirty days before Rosh Hashanah to confuse the Sutton. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he's caught on by now. You know, <laughs> right. we should come up with something else. Like, that custom should change every year. Right. Like, maybe wear Crocs every day for 30 days. So he thinks it's Yom Kippur every day. You know, like, do something different. Right. Right. You know, so I have the, I, I had this thing on Twitter for a while, like, different things. Like, I'm doing this to confuse the Sut, and I'm doing this, you <laughs> nice. know. Just doing random stuff to confuse the Sutton. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> and I, I think it's good, because, you know, like it's, it, it also questions like, what, what is behind this right. blowing the show? Like, confusing this guy? <laughs> like, does he not hear what we're saying, what we're talking right now? He hears the blowing of the horn, but he doesn't hear us saying <laughs> like we're doing in class to... that this is to confuse <laughs> the Sutton. Right. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. So that that's really that's really interesting because I think that comedy has this incredible ability to. I mean, we see it obviously in the secular world of being able to address taboos that no one would be able to talk about otherwise because you're saying it in a way that like people become a Kaylee for, essentially. Um, but you're doing it for something that like in the religious world, like if I was like, you know, wrote an essay and I was like, you know, this is clearly like ridiculous or something like that. Not that I think that, but like, I just think that. I mean, I just find that incredibly powerful that you can really talk about questioning things about religion without it being threatening necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's a license to <laughs> take things a step further or five steps further to to uh, to really question things. Do you consciously do that, you think? Yeah, I 
Really? Uh, what do you mean? Like, 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 say, like, oh, let's question this right. or question. Um, or it's just like I, a natural... I think I think the ne- the knee jerk reaction is the the humor. The humor comes first, and then and then the yeah, question. it's like when I hear of something, I'm like, right. you know, like, <laughs> and then and then when no one can give me a really straight answer, then it gets funnier. <laughs> right. That's really you interesting. Know. Wow, that's so cool. Um, do you find that when you do that? I mean, it does make it easier, obviously, to talk about these things. But I imagine that there must be some sort of, I mean, we talked a little bit about negativity on a very general level, but like re- in regards specifically to kind of a religious reaction, do you feel like that that's something that you have to deal with? Well, no, I mean, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely people that will hate the mm-hmm. haters going to hate, <laughs> but, um, I think most people understand that I'm not coming at it as a negative from a negative standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think people feel if you're, if you're, uh, do you need a cough there? No, I just needed a breathe. Oh, <laughs> just needed a sigh. <laughs> yeah, these mics pick up every little thing. Right. They're yeah. gonna, yeah. So. You like you. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. It's like when I, when I was constantly. a teenager, I, I, I'd be on the phone. Yeah. And then I'd hear, uh, I'd hear like, <laughs> and I knew. My mother was eavesdropping in the conversation <laughs> uh, from upstairs, chewing a banana or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's interesting that she chose to eat while she was listening. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson to parents out there. When you're eavesdropping. Well, these days you can't do that anymore because it's the cell phones. You don't have phones right. all over the house right. where you could just pick up and eavesdrop. It's true. Maybe the NSA will make a program with parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shared shared phone conversations. <laughs> um, but what were we talking about? Talking about religious reactions. Religious re- reactions. Yeah. yeah, no. So I think that if 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 you're coming from a, a place like for example, this uh Solabovich, what's what was that group? Uh we can't uh, I don't think we can publicly say. Oh, okay, the name. there was a group on Facebook <laughs> uh, about a certain yeah. group of people. Right. Um, a sect in within <laughs> we Hasidic can, people. We can talk about the group, what it is, but okay, we can't Lubavitch. say the name of the group. Okay. That's a, that's, yeah. So basically, when I joined the group, there was about a thousand people there, right. and it was all like like old school Lubavitch people, whether they're secular these days or they're not. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they they all came from the same place, the same hood, and we were just going crazy on. On having having a lot of fun with with different things about uh, uh, Lubavitch. Yeah, I remember yeah. being really funny at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was very like... it was very funny. Mm-hmm. It came from a good place. I think everyone was not trying to. We weren't trying to like. It, w- it was not a hateful place. I think it was more of a open and like let's open this 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 door where things we found funny or ridiculous mm-hmm. and we didn't have an outlet. Now there's an outlet. I noticed you're talking in past tense. <laughs> oh, I left the group. <laughs> oh, you left the group? I left the group. Yeah, once I saw like... I meant... Okay, so once I saw non-Lubavitchers mm-hmm. poking fun at Lubavitchers, I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on one second. <laughs> you know, we could poke fun of our, at ourselves. <laughs> right. Once they're letting non-Lubavitchers in the group, mm-hmm. you know, that's crossing the line. Then right, right when I... The first time I saw that, I just left the group. I just... I didn't want to be a part of, mm-hmm. of like, uh, you know, a, a hateful... Right, you know, just taking a certain group and just hating on them. It's interesting because it did seem like there was a transition at some point. Yeah, at some point. 
yeah, it, it just it's, it turned it turned negative, and so. So okay, so we yeah. were connecting that to the that you like basically that you feel like when you're doing it from that point of view of oh yeah so yeah so when form. yeah exactly so when when it's coming from a a place you know of love and I'm not I I'm not bitter towards you know I'm not I'm, it's not a place of bitterness if anything I want to make it better and I think people feel that and if they don't. And I'm sorry. <laughs> you should get a kosher phone. <laughs> right. um, that's interesting because I, I personally uh, wonder a lot about, about bitterness as an artist because, or as a religious artist, because mm-hmm. like I totally hear that. Um, I also find that to be difficult sometimes in the sense that like I get why that's, I mean, I totally get why that um, is extremely healthy, extremely good for, as a religious person to uplift the world, to, you know, bring up, uh, to bring out the aura of, of the world and all these things. But what happens when we do have bitter feelings about things? You know, I think, because I think for an artist, it's natural to express yeah, for sure. what we feel in general and especially strong feelings and bitterness is a strong feeling. You, you've had a lot of expressions lately ever since, uh, <laughs> September, uh, 9th. Was it September 8th? What was September 9th? November. No, sorry. November November 8th. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've had some some expressions. Yeah, Yeah. I've seen some expressions (laughs) on your your feed. (laughs) It's true. So, I mean, the question is, how do you deal with it? Because that's true. Like, let's use that, actually. I was upset about the election, and I was... And also very upset about the Orthodox response and the community that I was in and all these. I was very, very frustrated. So how do you... How does one, not you or me or anyone, but how does one be an artist who uplifts the world, but is human and has emotions like bitterness about things that are important, like they're not necessarily invalid. um, How do we deal with that as artists in our expression? Well, let's take Crown Heights, for example. There's a lot of things in Crown Heights that if, you sit down with the people in charge of certain things mm-hmm. and, and they put on a mindset, uh, like a human mindset. And you can have a conversation with them. There are certain things that go on that make no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And that should be changed. Mm-hmm. And I realize that if, if you take it upon yourself to try to change the, the place, you're just going to be disappointed and it's not going to happen. The best thing is to kind of change yourself or um, that sounds a little cliche, but you know, like, like kind of it's cliche, but, possibly but like true. not expect, I'm saying not, ex- not do things in order to change things, maybe change one person or, or get a certain view. Like, I think if you don't, if you don't feel like I, I this is ridiculous, uh, I got to convince them because I, I realized a long time ago, you're not going to change. You, you might make a small little dent, mm-hmm. but there's no way you're going to change the entire way mm-hmm. uh, of dysfunction. That's really interesting. I mean, I think what was interesting was actually uh, from on my, on my own experience, especially with that and like the air of controversy and these sorts of things. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. I'm sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that actually. Um, yeah, I was enjoying that. That was like one of the bright spots. But um Okay, what was I saying? Oh, that um what was what I found interesting was up until 
the election, actually, I was much angrier on a personal level because I wasn't expressing it. And then once I started expressing it, I started finding a way to do it in a way that was less angry. Um, it might not have been clear. <laughs> but um, but I think, I mean, my point being that I think that when... I think, the, the I guess my point is that I feel as if it's so important that we find that balance between not suppressing that whatever we're feeling for sure well you know but i think i think that the way you get more and more angry after letting it out is when you actually expect anything to come from right. what you're writing or what you're saying that's so interesting um yeah but just you know you know what if if you can make a small dent right then that's good right. and you probably won't see the dent <laughs> um right. but you know like, like for example john stewart he he was uh, clearly uh, had a, his political motives. Mm-hmm. He had he was definitely a, a left wing leaning liberal uh, Jewish feller, <laughs> and but he was comedian first. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't afraid to like if something's funny about Ob- what Obama did. He's going to nitpick on that and have a lot of fun with it. Like he was comedian first, and I think that's why he was so successful, was he didn't let it get in the way of the art. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think a lot of artists now are putting the, um, you know, they're trying to take a certain issue and then put the art into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's hard to do that. You, you kind of have to you kind of have to do the opposite in order for it to be more effective. Right. So we always have to be doing it through the lens. Whatever we're feeling inwardly should be going through the lens of art as opposed to... Like, okay, this we got to change this and let's do that through this art. Right. You know, I have a microphone and I'm going to change right. the way people think about Donald Trump and let's talk right now. Right. Well, you know what I find fascinating about that is that for me, that was something I actually found frustrating when I first became a Balchuva and was trying to kind of figure out my place as a writer. And I noticed that a lot of the art and writing that I was in touch with um, was starting off from a perspective of like, how do we make people more from? Or how do we, you know, like get out the tropes that we believe in or not tropes, but the, you know, our beliefs, like how do we get those out and then adapt the art to that? So I find it almost, I find it fascinating because it's like we, I got upset with that, but at the same time, I think it's so easy to fall into that in a million other spheres. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I've been there <laughs> and I've been disappointed. Right. Um, until I, until I like, I totally got rid of that motive as trying to change, uh, a whole thing and more like what's interesting and what's, uh, you know, just personal. It's kind of like a personal expression instead of, instead of thinking of the audience, just thinking of yourself. You know, that leads me to a totally separate question. Is that okay? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I love it. Okay. So as my very, very, very limited experience doing standup, um, one of the things I find fascinating about it is, how much it's dependent on the audience. Yes. You know, and because almost every other art, it's like, okay, you know, the audience is like, screw it. Like, I don't care. I'm doing my thing. If you're a comedian and you don't care about the audience, I mean, 
But then there's this other side, which is that I hear interviews with comedians that are like, let's say, 20 years in the business or whatever, and they're like, you know, the best thing I ever did or or the regret that they have or whatever is that I didn't listen, I didn't worry too much when I bombed. Like, I had this vision of what I was doing. So my question is, how do you balance that as a comedian? Because I think I cannot describe, <laughs> I'm sure you you know what I'm talking about, but that feeling of like total and utter silence after a joke. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've been there. That feeling. Yeah. Um, and not to mention like a whole set bombing or whatever. Yeah, um, I've been there too. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> That's what I hear. Everyone's been through that. But so the question is, how, how do you, like for me, I always wonder, am I like, I'm okay, I'm adapting my jokes or I'm keeping the jokes that people laugh at. Is that like I'm selling out? What am I doing here? You know? No, that's, of- you know what? That's the toughest thing. That's one of the toughest things is that, you know, there could be something that was a huge hit and got applause in one place and then it just silenced in another place. Right. And um, <laughs> like there's one time I said a joke, nothing. And I'm like, like, guys... That was funny. Like with a serious face. I'm like, I just start yelling at them. I'm like, I'm telling you, you got to just believe me. Okay. I'm a comedian. I'm a professional at this. That was funny. That got laughter. Right. <laughs> um, there's like, there's like, there was one joke of for a while, like my friend that was, uh, you know, that had bounced things off of kept on telling me like, don't use that. Mm. Like, it's just not funny. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's funny. I'm telling you, I know it's funny. And then I'd use it and it would, not, and it would bomb. Right. And I'm like, no, I know it's funny. And I, I, I didn't give up. I kept on wow. using it. I, so I, I like kept on using it. I'm like, I'm like, you know, this crowd just, they just don't have a good sense of humor. <laughs> it's not my problem that they don't have a good sense of humor. You know? I love that. Oh my gosh. And, and then I, 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 and then till finally, mm-hmm. Finally, I think it was a combination of figuring out the right way to tell it and getting the right crowd, and then and then it clicked. You know, I think uh-huh. the joke was um, people are always asking me, um, how, "How do you know that it's the right one?" Mm. It's simple. It's like throwing up. You just know. <laughs> okay. Now and then, whatever. It, it, there's a little before that joke yeah. and a little after that joke, but that it it doesn't completely make sense. Mm-hmm. But just the way it comes out, I just felt that it's funny. Right. That's so interesting. <laughs> and also, my, the, like, the expression I put on, the way I, I right. deliver it, I just, my gut is telling me, this is funny. Wow. And, there was, and I had to do it a few times before I got laughs for it. That's amazing. That's so interesting. So I guess my question is, like, connected to that, then, how do we distinguish that? Because I think, I mean, to me, this is, like, the essence of... of uh, one of the biggest questions in creativity and why I love comedy in that sense, because it really gets to that core question of when is it for you? When is it for the audience? How do, where do they meet, you know? And so how do you know when it's like a joke that you're like, you just know is funny and you just have to find the right way to put it versus like, oh, this is just really <laughs> like not a funny joke, you know? I think you just got to follow, uh, you know, when people analyze comedy, it's pretty, it's pretty funny because at the end of the day, it's just your knee-jerk reaction to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, and it may not make sense, but, it, but to you, that's funny. And if, you're, and if your knee-jerk reaction to situations um, are 
are funny to other people than your comedian. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And the the uh, I mean, you just got to. I think you just got to follow your your gut. I did a show, mm -hmm. um, and and I think the contract had me down for 45 minutes or something or an hour. And so I, I, I go in there. They tell me it's like a young, like a young crowd, young hip crowd. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of like, you know, I, I, I had bullet points prepared, you know, in my mind. And I, I even put little cheat sheets around the stage, you know, mm -hmm. and of like, you know, uh, dating, marriage, <laughs> young kids, different things like that. I come, I come there. And we had everything from like a Holocaust survivor oh to a three-year-old kid. <laughs> it was like a good Jewish <laughs> crowd of every possible thing with these rotten teenagers in the front seat. <laughs> it was it was impossible. Wow. It was really impossible. Yeah. And and I guess the uh, another problem was that I I did that venue for the previous two years. So like all my best material I already use. <laughs> so, so I, I tried to do a lot of crowd stuff and it was just, it was like, a, it was not happening. Hmm. It was, and it, it all, it, it has a lot to do with how you open it. Right, right. And I invited a fellow comedian there to do some kind of a funny opening and it just bombed. Oh no. Cause it's the wrong crowd. And so it was just downhill from there. <laughs> But I embraced it, and I decided that I'm just, you know what? I'm going to go the opposite direction. Instead of feeling like crap, I'm just going to keep going until I lose my crowd, until everyone leaves. <laughs> it took an hour and a half until <laughs> there was not a single person. It would start off with 200 people. Oh not a single person left in the room after an hour and a half. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. I'm, but family. It was uh, my family. Yeah, <laughs> right. that, that, that's it was left, my family. And then I walked so off stage. So you succeeded. Yeah, I succeeded. <laughs> I like embraced it. Oh my gosh. That's I thought, I was expecting that story to be like, and everyone stayed and applauded. No, and <laughs> no. I will not be invited back over there. So, so what's the lesson there? The, I'm very curious. What's the creative I lesson? I don't think there is a lesson. <laughs> I think it's just a good story. <laughs> the, you know. No, listen, I think the lesson <laughs> is that everyone bombs and it's, and it's, you know, like you, you shouldn't let it get to you. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You know, it, it does get to me, but it gets me a lot less now because I have more experience. And I, like, I know that certain jokes did a phenomenal in a bunch of other crowds and you're just a bad crowd and I hate you. <laughs> You know what's interesting about doing open mics in New York? This is like only relevant to like five people listening, maybe. But like, what I find, well, I think it applies on a broad level. Is that what I actually find really interesting is that because New York is so full of comedians, like I'm sure you know, go, so going to an open mic, there's no real audience, right? It's just all comedians. Whereas other places, it might not be like that. And so you just get really used to just doing horribly, not necessarily because right. you're bad. So you get kind of used to that. That vibe of like, this doesn't mean I'm bad. Like, you know, and I think yeah, that that's if, great practice. Yeah, if you if you could uh, if you could last at, at these <laughs> right. these uh, open mics with comedians, then yeah, and I you know what I I would suggest not to go to these open mics with comedians. Really, but I don't have any other choice. Uh, you know what? Because it's just so depressing. <laughs> 
these guys are the most depressed people. <laughs> it's just, it's a sour vibe there. <laughs> they stay up till like three in the morning right. to tell some, some jokes that might be good. And even if they're good, the other comedian will not laugh. Like, it's just feeling all of this right now. it's just a sour place i've done it i've done it many times until i just i couldn't take it anymore it's just so depressing you know it's true it's really depressing i went in i used to go in uh, to this place in burbank and and like they wouldn't pick me till you know they, you put your name in a jar they wouldn't pick me till like 2 a.m i'm mm -hmm. staying there from like nine till two to tell uh, three minutes worth of jokes that may or may not right. hit. And we won't know if they're good because right. no one's going to laugh anyway. <laughs> right. And um, comedians are the worst audience. Right. And, and uh, so I cheated. Okay. I, put, I put my name Mandy Pellin, and then I took another paper, <laughs> and I put Menachem in there just to bring my... <laughs> Bring my odds up a little bit. Oh my gosh, that's great! And and at like ten o'clock, pretty pretty, they they, they called up like Menachem, <laughs> and I'm like Menachem, Menachem. Okay, come on. So I went up, I did my set, yeah, and and then uh, you know, as I'm leaving, I hear the guy like, "All right, uh, Mendy Pellin," <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> like anyone with the name Mendy Pellin." anybody and then the guy starts doing a whole bit on like uh aren't we all happy mendy pellin's not here oh my gosh isn't it so great funny. guys <laughs> we're gonna get to you quicker because of this mendy pellin and oh he, he became like a, a joke so i went back there many times after that you had to call yourself and i had to call myself menachem <laughs> because that's incredible yeah that's why they all they all knew me as menachem oh my god and they're like what's your last name i'm like i'm like madonna i just use one <laughs> thing menachem <laughs> It's definitely not Pellin. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How many, how, how, you know, how long have you been doing stand-up for? So, okay, so I have like this, I did um, for like six months straight and then. But like how often for six Like months? two to three times a week. I would wow. And, yeah. and, and this is all at open mics? All open mics, yeah. Wow. And, and then what happened was um, I had. It was a combination of things. The election actually, I think, really threw me off, like emotionally, and I didn't find things funny as much. So I wasn't writing humorous jokes. And then, because I was so stressed about that and about work and different things, I went to this show like maybe a week or two after the election. Got up on stage. I literally had a panic attack. Like I got up there, and, you know, and uh, like I was saying the jokes really fast because I was just nervous. Oh, that's the worst. It was the worst. And yeah. so I had eight minutes. And I like went through them all again. No one's laughing, of course. And I asked them how much time I had left, and they're like, "Oh, you have three minutes left." So I had been doing eight minutes of material in two minutes. Oh no! And I had nothing left. Oh no! Because <laughs> it was all that I had memorized. I was working on memorizing. So anyway, af right after this, I, <laughs> I um, I'm like, you know what? It was the only time I'd ever done this. Usually, I try and make it work. I was like, you know what? I'm done. And I get off the stage. I trip. As oh, I'm going off the stage. Just to add to it. It's like the stage kicked you in, in the exactly. butt there. It was Hashem, I don't know. Hashem was rough on me that day. And then my keeper fell off. <laughs> it's oh, like wow. everything went wrong. Uh, anyway, my point being that after that, I was like, I just was, I like stayed away for a few months. I've just started going back recently. Um, and it was, and I, I, to me, I find 
I find that experience like fascinating, and it's almost why I feel like I have to go back. You know, to it's like if you get lost in the forest, you got to go back to the forest. So you don't, <laughs> you're not, you don't stay away from the forest for the rest of your life. Well, not only that, I feel like because the fact that it, I like to me, I have this theory about fear, about creativity that the things that we're afraid of expressing are the ones we most want to express because yeah. we have the most stakes in it. You know. Yeah. Um, and so I think I really, I think, you know, part of the reason it was hard for me to be funny was because things were really, you know, they were so intense that I, I couldn't find the humor in that. But I think, you know, like what you were describing is earlier, you were saying how it's so important that we come from a place of, of love and positivity when we're expressing ourselves. And I think that's what comedy, at least for me does and, mm -hmm. and why it was important for me to be able to come back and be like, okay, this was really hard, but you know what? We need to. We need to truly live our lives in a healthy way. Yeah, you know? for sure. And to me, that's part of it. But like, so why we're talking about all this stuff and... H have you done uh, real crowds yet? So <laughs> one time I did one was actually in between this panic attack and my recently coming back to doing comedy. I was at a retreat with, um, for my work, or it was actually connected to my work. We have this Rabbit Without Borders at Claw. And so it was a bunch of rabbis. What's it called? Rebbes Without Borders? Rabbis Without Borders. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was very cool. And, um, and so they had a talent show. And I was there, you know, I was, like, I didn't really know anyone. Most people, you know, didn't know me because they were part of a network. And I was just kind of there as the guy who had just gotten hired. And I decided to try out some of my material. And it was crazy because, of course, I'm used to these open mics. And I'm doing it for these people. They were, like, cracking up. And, you know, obviously a real audience, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was magical, but the thing was what I, what for me is interesting about comedy as well is that material, like the material that you're building up, you kind of don't want people to see, uh, like a real audience to see or, or an audience, like right. a wide audience until, to see, until uh, you get it to a good point. Right. So that's the other balance that I find yeah. interesting. Well, the problem, the problem that I have is that my material, because I, you know, I have my market is like kosher comedy and it's mainly uh the niche is you know more jewish religious kind of crowds um there's there's no really real club out there to test the material mm. so you know i started off with a thousand people <laughs> and and ever since then it's been it's been like i've only been doing like big crowds wow getting paid you know, a lot of money mm -hmm. to test out my stuff. Wow. And, uh, you have I like the inverse experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it, it was, it, it was weird without, without stepping foot into a club. Right. And so when I went into the club, <laughs> it was very, uh, it was very, uh, humbling. Wow. To like say something that gets huge laughter and wow. applause and then nothing. Mm. Oh, you're saying like in one context, the guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying you know through a big crowd, I get claps and right, and then I'm I'm in you know I'm there at two o'clock in the morning with a bunch of bitter comedians, <laughs> right. and I'm I'm trying to sharpen <laughs> that joke, and yeah, I'm getting no response whatsoever. <laughs> right. So it's tough yeah. because I I can't really perfect it, so I have to I try to add stuff to a routine every mm. new show. But there's only so much I could do. I can't try too much because they're paying me 
uh, uh, you know, the amount of money that they would usually pay someone that's been doing the clubs ready for 10 years. Right. So, you know, and perfected a whole set. Right. Right. It's a, it's, it's a weird kind of angle that I'm coming into comedy. Yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting is that I think that that might connect to part of why it's tempting or easier to not be as, um, motivated or as we're increasing our skills as much when we're in a from context Mm -hmm. like you see with a lot of jewish artists i think that like you know you just don't you get that feeling like it's not quite at the level of like the quote-unquote like i don't know the secular world or whatever right um and i think because often we're put in that circumstance so it has to be very much self-motivated yeah you know yeah um the the and i think that harder than music or anything is comedy because right what it's very hard to like stay kosher mm-hmm. and get people to laugh. Right. You know? Right. With music, you if, if you're a good musician and you come up with good inner concepts and stuff like that, then, you know, secular crowd, Jewish crowd, it, it, good is good. Mm-hmm. But comedy, it's like, if you really want to speak to a secular audience, it's, it's very, very, very tricky um, to speak their language and compete with a, a regular comedian right. talking about all sorts of things. <laughs> you, know? you know what I found interesting is that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've had this experience at all, but like when I've tried to do more off-color jokes or even like like gross jokes or something like that um, with a secular audience, because I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> they'll get right. it. I like saying these jokes in private. Like I'll try it out with these people. I note, I am pretty convinced that those jokes do much worse with a secular audience. Like, whereas like if I was saying with like religious friends, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. And I think it's almost because they have an impression that a religious person is supposed to be more kosher. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I mean, well, I think it'd go either way. They're, either they're like, they're laughing because it's funny mm-hmm. coming from that guy. Right. Right. It could be, um, or, or there, there's the, the, the limits that we have, are nothing compared to their unlimited limits. Right. And so you're given like a, a PG version of that. So it's like, yeah, very nice. Okay, we get oh, it. Oh, right, right, right. That's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Right, because even then I'm holding myself yeah, back. Yeah, you're That's still holding point. yourself back. You're not going all the way. Right. There's right. one show. I did a comedy festival. I headlined comedy festival in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Big crowd. And they were very strict. No, Is that the, uh, the famous one? What's it called? Uh... It was... A, it was it was called the, oh, what was it called? That's okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was called. And I was freezing. It was in the uh-huh. winter. And the, and, and it's it a big crowd. They're very strict on no filming, no recording, no phones. Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to let loose a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm pretty strict on, on, uh, you know, the, the boundaries that I have mm-hmm. and I moved the boundaries aside a little bit and I let loose. It was so therapeutic, man. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, Interesting. just being able to say stuff that <laughs> you've been wanting to say, like just making a joke, just that much funnier by using a different word, you know? Right. And it was, it was great. It was great. But I, wow. you know, I, I'm not going to do that again, probably, but it was, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying it was really. That's so interesting. Yeah. It was like therapy. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was up there for an hour and a half. 
Really? As a headliner. Wow. I went, it was supposed to be 45 minutes. I have a problem going over time. <laughs> I was up there. Only double. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so it was an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I, I did the, the closing joke, you know, got the applause, you know, put my hand up like, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I have many following. Good to be here. I walked off stage and, and it was like a high. I was on a high. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want more of that. You know what I'm saying? I was like a junkie. I, I need more of that. Right. So I walked right back on stage. I'm like, all right, guys. It's like minus 27 degrees outside. <laughs> all right. I'm staying at a hotel down the road. I got nothing to do tonight. Whoever wants to leave could go. But whoever wants to stay, um, let's make this interactive. Let's have some fun with this. And let's take some questions. Wow. And, and that, was, that was probably the best half hour. I, I was doing that for a half hour and it was, wow. it was awesome. It was like these, the real Gentile asking these, these questions about Moses and the Jews going through. <laughs> so it was like, ask I the had, rabbi, except the uh, uh, comedian so, version. Oh yeah. It was so, and, and also like they, I made some jokes cause there were, there were, there were, there were some Chabad guys there because, oh, really? okay. you know, because it was me. And then there was some, you know, a, a nice chunk of Jews there. And then, so, so like I did put in some jokes that, some details the Gentiles didn't understand. So they're asking questions on those. It was just funny explaining those things. Wow. You know, it was, it was great. It was really good. That's really cool. Um, so I think we are literally 59 minutes. So 59 minutes. Nice. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to share? Uh, yeah. Hevria, man. (laughs) I heard about that place. Hevria is is a safe place to bear your soul <laughs> and um love it and you know what the the more true to the more true to yourself you are then the more people will like and i think that's that was the big thing about trump by the way mm. is that he got up there and he pointed at a wall that was red and he said that is a red wall <laughs> and people are like whoa he's committing to a color on that wall (laughs) and people are like going crazy like Mm -hmm. uh, a politician Mm -hmm. in this politically correct uh (laughs) environment that we're in said what color it is (laughs) and they're like wow (laughs) you know what i'm saying Mm. and then whatever he said after that doesn't matter Mm. it was just refreshing hearing someone say that that wall was fresh finally finally someone said it and the mexicans will pay for that wall (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) well it doesn't matter who pays for them what's gonna happen with it how's it gonna no, but it's just refreshing. I think people these days just want it to be real. They right. want, they're just searching. Even if people are lying. They want. It, it, but I'm saying like, <laughs> it, it, they're just searching for right, right. real, whatever the, you know, whatever the, the details are behind it or whatever. I right, think right. something we could definitely learn from this uh, election results is that, or, or this election period is that people are, uh, you know, done with the PCBS stuff. And they're looking for real. And an artist mm-hmm. is has been living in the real all this time. And and that's why artists are so influential. Yeah. And and I think that if you're just true to yourself and and forget about the um you know other people and, and trying to change this or trying to change that, just just getting in touch with yourself and working on yourself and then bearing some of that, I think that's gonna be the most powerful art that you bring forward. Beautiful. Love it. That is such a good ending. Where can we find this, Hevria? Hevria.com. H-E-V-R-I-A.com. Or on Facebook. Right. 
there's a closed group if you're a, if you're a good artist. <laughs> if you're a good artist. <laughs> That's why there's no one in there. Uh, <laughs> no, there's there. We have a we have quite a community there. Uh-huh. I like that you say we. I love that. What do you mean? I'm a part of the group. Oh my gosh, this is great. It was an honor yeah, getting I mean, into that group. <laughs> yeah. No, really, it's very exclusive. Yeah, it is. It is an exclusive group, <laughs> unlike some other groups that just allow everybody in. <laughs> which shall remain nameless. Yes, <laughs> got it. But we could have um, someone uh, from Lamplighters Yeshiva write about it. and uh, Oh, okay. Right, uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I've heard about that. Yeah. Thank God for, thank God for that. Yocheved. <laughs> yeah. You want to plug Yocheved too? Yocheved, yeah. No, she's, she, she's mm-hmm. made an amazing school there mm-hmm. in Crown Heights. So that's what I want to plug there. Is <laughs> so Lamplighters and... And Yocheved and Hevria. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I love it. I love it. This is good plugs. Yeah. Anything, anything else? I mean, we could just keep it anything going. Anything else? Um, you could follow me on, on Twitter. Okay. At Mendy TV. Mm-hmm. Um, or on Instagram at Mendy Pellin, M-E-N-D-Y-P-E-L-L-I-N. Not Menachem. Not Menachem. <laughs> Not Menachem. That's my alter ego. <laughs> Got it. And then... Yeah, I think that's it. How do we and find a, your videos? A, a, oh, videos. Just Google my name mm-hmm. or uh, type in Jubelish, like Embellish, mm-hmm. Jubelish. Uh, type it in on um, on YouTube and you, you find like uh, Talk Yiddish to Me, mm. which is a nice parody you might like. Yeah, I love that one. And uh, some other stuff. Great. And um, are you doing any live shows we can go to anytime with... Uh... Three-year-olds running around. <laughs> you know, I probably will do that <laughs> on Pesach time. I got oh, a lot yeah? of shows, yeah. Okay. But at, those are like private shows at hotels, so. Oh, okay. I'm Come not going to tell anybody. <laughs> okay. All right, man. It was so good that to have great. you on. Hey, it's an honor, brother. It's Incredible. an honor. You're Incredible. a legend. You're a legend. Bringing, no, seriously, bringing everyone together, like like changing uh, changing the, the artist community or or uncovering the, the, the community. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Jewish religious world, you did that, brother. Man, I love this. This is my favorite plug. Yeah. So until, <laughs> until then, we were just scattered, and we didn't know anyone else <laughs> suffered from the same disease, you know? All right. I think I got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you so All much. Right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Oh,